Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzkowspo. Well guys, um, I, I hope you've both been able to dig out of this massive snowstorm. Um, I, I took a bit of a break from shoveling yesterday to uh, watch the Northwestern men's basketball game for some reason because, you know, I, I like pain, I guess. I don't know. Um, I was going to say, we did we did our big signing day pod and then all of our equipment was frozen for the week after that. So, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just thawing out. It got up to a balmy 36 degrees in uh, Arlington Heights today. So, you know, things are... Things are finally thawing out, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think our I think our takes tonight are gonna mimic yeah, the weather. Yeah, this yeah. is sorry, folks. This is gonna be a dark one, but uh, hopefully yeah. it'll get you through the through the storm. Well, um, yeah. So it's just no easy way to to transition to it. The men's team has now lost what twelve in a row. Yep. And yep. Um, you know, we've been kind of having our eye on this imaginary line. And against Illinois yesterday, it is now official that the lifetime win percentage of Chris Collins has dipped below the lifetime win percentage of Bill Carmody, both overall and in conference. Um, and it's just, it's such a, such a weird situation. Because, like, this team should be better than it is. I mean, like, they beat Ohio State that was their last win and this is an Ohio State team that's a half game out of first they're like slated for a one seed in the in the tournament um you know it was it was a good win at the time we were both ranked and now all of a sudden the tables turned fiercely and um yeah yeah I I just I where where to begin well to begin I think you know I think we'll probably zoom farther out the farther in that we get here um i think in in the short term one of the things to to talk about because you're absolutely right i think multiple people um jordan ash you know made the point on twitter um right after the game that say what you will about this team and really this is a drum that we beat especially hard last season um say what you will these guys are playing their butts off game to game and that is totally true and that is really something to not pay lip service to from a perspective of, I mean, can you imagine what it's like for some of these guys to have been in several titanic losing streaks like this and to keep putting the effort up? I mean, again, it's like, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it does bear mentioning because it, it is true. Like it, it is got to be absolutely crushing for these guys to have to deal with a streak like this. And um, to keep giving their all night after night and not just seeing like a total apathy taking over truly is like a- an amazing thing. With that said, I think one thing that's also clear and Sam said it right off the top is there's real talent on this team and there's been talent on this team. And that's not the issue. I think the issue, you know, from, from an, in a more immediate sense is a lot of times this team doesn't feel like it has a clear identity in terms of what it wants to do. Um, and I think the past couple of seasons have have, bear, have borne out the fact that 
if a team, if it finds an identity for a piece of time, the rest of the conference figures that out and diagnoses it sometime mid-season. And then whatever was found is lost at that point, And we're not capable of, of making adjustments. And as a result, we've seen this. I mean, it's, I think that's as, as brutal as this loss is, this streak is within this season, baked into it is the fact that really the past four years have delivered something similar. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, in, and that's the thing. It's, it's not a talent situation in a vacuum. It's that, it's talent folded in with just uh, a lack of this, a lack of ability for this team to find a, a clear path forward. It's not just that it's a similar story over the last four seasons. It's that a, it's a spiraling worse and worse story, right? I mean, coming right. off of sixteen seventeen and the NCAA tournament tourney berth, Cats finished tenth in the conference. They were six and twelve. The next year, they finished fourteenth in the conference. They were four and sixteen. Now that was um, do we have was that do we have, was that the year we still had Law and Pardon? Uh, the season uh, after was the final season with Law and Pardon. Yeah, the, the, that was the season at, at Allstate Arena. Okay, and then in nineteen twenty they went three and seventeen. Um, so like 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 even though they finished a, a spot higher on the conference, their their conference record actually got worse. Their overall record dropped to eight and twenty three. And this year, like on a percentage basis is, is going to be even worse. And it just like, like they're going in the total wrong direction. And, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Jordan Lathan pivot point where, I mean, Collins, it, it seems to me that he's just not very good at game day slash in game coaching, right? Like he's a, he's a great recruiter. Um, I think there have been inconsistent patterns of development within within the program. I think we were pretty worried about development of players, and then Pete Nance has really blossomed this year in some ways. That kind of say, well, I, you know, I, like they're not, you know, they're not totally incapable of developing talent, um, but there's there's no progress. And yes, the Lathan thing was was it was a train wreck, but you would think two, three years later, we would have some answers in this space and, and they're not there yet. And that's a huge indictment to me of Collins that he can't function unless he's got a floor general in his point guard, who's a better in-game coach than he is. I mean, that that's, that's where it comes down to me now is that sans Brian McIntosh, he's been horrible. Yeah. And well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we were kind of batting this round before the pod and, and, you know, the idea of, you know, Collins getting fired, you know, will he be fired this season? Do we believe he should be fired this season? I think a lot of it's almost secondary. I mean, I mean, the facts are the facts. A coach doesn't have a four-year run like this and keep his job um, in a standard situation. I mean, that's not a Northwestern situation. It's not an outside Northwestern situation. Six conference wins, four conference wins, three conference wins, three conference wins, sitting where we are right now. Um, that's not a situation where you keep your job. Now, there are certainly, we all know, um, special circumstances here regarding Northwestern's athletic director and, and lack thereof and where we stand right now. But Scuzz is absolutely right. And I think um, one of 
I think one of the things that really burns this season, because let's be honest, everyone's expectations for this season were incredibly low. I think the idea coming from last season to this season is we're looking what was coming in and saying, okay, well, we have Ty Berry coming in. Um, we didn't really know what we had in Chase Adige. He had transferred in, but he transferred in from William and Mary. So I think expert expectations were very measured to say the least. So there was an expectation, well, okay, Barry's coming in, but really how much difference can he he make for a team that, as Scott said, went 3-17 and 17 the season before? Well, I think one of the things that really compounded and compounded the burn of this losing streak is it became very quick early on that Barry and especially Adige brought something that had been sorely missing, really, ever since, I mean, I, you know, ironically, since he never actually played at Northwestern, but since that Lathan disaster unfolded and since McIntosh left, that there was real guard depth. And I think early on in the season, we were really batting around, you know, to the best of, of our ability, what the exact problems were relative to failing to get the most out of this sudden amount of depth that we had at the guard um, position and, you know, the lack of sets that we wished that we were seeing. And honestly, we went back and forth with some of you um, who had some differing opinions and things like that. And then I think as time went on, two things happened. Um, one, we just got kind of exhausted at, at going at the intricacies of something that was just adding up to loss after loss. Um, and two, I think a feeling that regardless of how right we were about any particular intricacy regarding a formation, etc., the bottom line is whatever you thought, this team clearly had more talent than last year's team and Collins was failing to to get more out of that, right? And I think you can look at a lot of these teams and you look at the way that to the best of, I mean, even look, look at this Illinois game where Northwestern, you know, really battled in the second half and battled back you get to crunch time or you get to the late second halves of these games or even the early second halves and teams eventually figure it out. And even if Northwestern is playing really good defensive basketball, teams are able to be like, all right, look, this is what they're going to do. Um, and, and we feel like we can take that apart. And I think it's funny to, to draw um, one of the things that I think a lot of people has had a lot of people really frustrated, right? Is some of these moments um, like in um the what the Nebraska not the Nebraska game the um, Indiana game where at the end of what the the first overtime right was it the first overtime or the end of regulation um, both both yeah. yeah Northwestern just had an, an inability to, to get a bucket and I think one of the problems there is everyone knows that Brian James is is the guy who draws up the plays and on one hand it's great to have a tactician like that to be able to do that but I think what you clearly see is those situations so expose the overall weaknesses of the team on any given trip up or down the floor because the minute whatever was drawn up falls through, the team just doesn't know what to do. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing. Right, and I think, and that's it. And I think that's that's the thing coming down is we know because of what we saw early on in the season and and because of flashes for like like you were saying like with Nance um, that they're there are real pieces here and then you see it not get put together and you have to hang that on Collins. It's not just the losses. It's that, that we're not seeing this talented group of guys come together. Well, I think in, in 2017 and 18, I guess maybe that's a bad year because McIntosh was still on the team that season, but in 18, 19, you know, you know, 
that's the first year where you don't really have a, a seasoned point guard. Um, you know, you're running the offense through law and pardon. It's often not enough, um, but it's, I don't know. It's still, it's still functional. We're, we're, we're two more years beyond that. I mean, we're four years past the time that they made the tournament and there's no answer for, for that situation you talked about, John. And that's just, that's stunning. And it just like, it goes back to some of the weird decisions that have come across, come along the way, right? Like the Isaiah Brown one is, is a great example where that dude, I mean, not in the same way that Johnny Vassar got driven out of the program, but that dude was clearly pushed out of the program. Um, you know, given some sort of, 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 at least from a fan's perspective, right. Given some sort of indication like, yeah, like you should probably transfer. You're not going to play here and has become a clutch playmaker and, 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 and a, a strong guard where he's playing and yeah, it's not, you know, a big 10, but to think that that dude couldn't have been a major contributor along the way and maybe helped connect the tendrils and, and keep us from falling this far. I, I just, I just don't know. It, it like at the time, my, my perspective was, it seems like the coaching staff maybe got ahead of themselves coming off of that tournament berth really like went for gusto in, in trying to upgrade the talent on the team and blew up in their face a little bit. The, the he, thing is, the thing is though, I mean, basketball is, is a game that like you shouldn't need to have three four years of buildup before you make a run i mean it's like you can get with a couple guys i mean you know one or, one or two players come in and <laughs> can change a team where where have we seen that before i mean i look i mean heck you could it was when we were playing purdue earlier this season just a couple weeks ago it was stark as day if you watch that game on on tv all they talked about nonstop is that purdue's team is all freshmen and they're getting it done with an entire group of freshmen and i think we we talked about that way back when when people are talking about oh well, we just need pete nance to develop a little bit more and it's like that's not really how college basketball works when you're talking yeah. about top 100 recruits um and but so it you know, with all of that said, um, I think, you know, one thing that obviously we wanted to do was put a little of this in perspective. And Sam mentioned it right off the top, right? That um, one of the reasons that this is a good time to do this kind of recommend uh, referendum is because of this quote unquote Carmody line that again, we, we invented the phrase Carmody line, but it's like, it's math. Anyone can point it out. Although as an aside, Wikipedia may not be, able to, I, I was going to say as an aside, uh, don't go off the Wikipedia stats, go off our good man, Mr. Scuzz, uh, our numbers guy, because um, Scuzz's math, um, that we use to determine this is superior to Wikipedia because Wikipedia in, in, in that it in that it does division correctly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, because Bill Carmody has been given um, several key points um, higher in terms of his his career win percentage at Northwestern than actually is deserved. But trust us, um, Scuzz is, is a data man and his his numbers are correct. But um, I think it's important to, to look at a couple of different things, right? Because on one hand, um, I think it's, there's certainly a group of people who are, you know, you don't want to be like, look, we're doing this now because our point is that Bill Carmody was the better coach than Chris Collins. That's not the point, whether you believe that or not, that's not why we're doing it at this point. It's just, I think part of it is 
we should we should understand that a lot of our audience is young enough that they weren't there for a lot of the the Bill Carmody era like we were the ups and the downs and I think their understanding I think the Carmody era has to go you know go into understanding that from Jim Phillips's perspective um, the way he handled the Carmody era ultimately for the grousing at, at various times that the fan base had was basically the exact right way to handle it. And on top of that, as bad as things have been, there's really no way to get around the fact that the Chris Collins hire was the exact right hire at the exact right time to achieve the exact singular goal that Northwestern had above everything else, which was to to get into the tournament. And and I, I, I think though that that is sort of the fallacy here because like that was the goal, right? Right. To make the tournament, but that shouldn't be the goal. Mm. The goal should be to, ha- to field consistent winning teams and to go like you shouldn't be satisfied just by going. And like we went and it was amazing and we won the first round game and that was amazing. And we were a bad goaltend away from possibly knocking off the number one seed and going to the Sweet 16. And that was uh, like taking absolutely nothing away from that, but you know, that should have been the stepping point that should have been the leap off point. We, we got there. Let's go further. And, you know, we made excuse after excuse. Oh, you know, we're not playing at home. Oh, it's, you know, playing at all state and, and all that, but it, we've regressed. Oh, with, without a regression of talent, the talent is been there. We, we, we've been talking about this all night. Like, and and we've got some really great blue chip guys coming in next year. Well, like the the best recruits in Northwestern's history have all come in the last three to four years. Well, so I think I'll I'll quibble with one small piece of what sure. you're saying, which is I think it's becoming pretty apparent now that even compared to the the relative wealth of recruiting talent. Well, I mean, this is going to sound stupid when I say it right now, because it's like, obviously this is true. Look at the wins and losses. There, There is a huge amount of recruiting talent on the team right now, right? It is clear that that Macintosh Lindsay Law class was maybe the greatest class Northwestern will ever have. Um, it was two guys who are playing, you know, one is a fringe NBA player right now, and the other's playing what high level European basketball right now, right? Or, or if not that G League basketball. Um, and then McIntosh, who was a phenomenal player, um, and I think made the choice rather than pursue, you know, a fringe, probably European career to come and be on the Northwestern coaching staff. Unbelievable group of guys. And I think if, if Collins, you know, and again, it's, it's weird because we feel like we're kind of looking forward at Collins legacy, right. You know, right now with him still here, but I mean, I mean, again, real talk, this is where we are. I mean, I, this is. This is a four-year resume of, of a man who will not be keeping his job for long, regardless of what Northwestern's front office situation is, right? Um, but I think you can already look and be like, his legacy is going to be that he was able to sell that class on coming to this school. And that is, that's a testament to him. I mean, he he did it. And I think I think one way to kind of look at it is Carmody built this hump that Collins was then able to to get over. And I think it's funny that we're talking about a change in, in athletic department administration 
because for I think for people who either need a reminding or for for again our longer younger listeners who just don't know, it's important for you to understand that when Jim Phillips was hired in the spring of 2008, the very first major decision he had to make immediately was whether or not to retain Bill Carmody, who was coming off a one in seventeen conference season on the back of a two and fourteen conference season. Now. Prior to that stretch, that two-year stretch of just awfulness, he had really done light years better than the previous 25 years of coaches had done. That is to say, the bar was so effing low. <laughs> like zero win seasons, one win seasons, two win seasons for like a solid 25-year stretch. That Carmody pulling out seven and nine in conference, eight and eight in conference, six and ten, six and ten. These were really... This was, you know, unprecedented in our lifetimes. Let's put it that way. Um, and then he had two real clunkers. And Jim Phillips came in and had to make that decision. And Phillips ultimately chose to keep Carmody, one of the great Northwestern, you know, it's not hiring Gary Barnett great, but it is <laughs> a, I mean, it's got to be top five to ten athletic department because he was rewarded with the greatest stretch of Northwestern basketball since the 1960s. Did Northwestern fandom spend most of this stretch grousing about us not getting to the, to March madness? Yes, we did. Um, but you can't argue with the fact that, you know, he was almost, I mean, probably what six or seven games under 500 in the big 10 for four years. Um, a little bit more than that. But I mean, just under 500 season to season for four years with four straight NIT berths, including a quarterfinal berth. Um, and well, well, and I think like if, if I think the accounting in those years, it was not just the tourney. It was that it always felt like we were so close. Mm-hmm. And it, and when you added up the missed free throws, the missed layups, the kind of inexplicable defensive lapses. Um, I think I think it was those things. Like they were obvious things that stood out. Everybody knew Carmody didn't like to recruit, and there was just this this sense of, gosh, if he just tried a little harder, I'm 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 sure the success Pat Fitzgerald was having with the football program at the same time, demonstrating that you could recruit the type of athletes to Northwestern. Um, that that Fitz was getting, if you were gonna, you know, try at it. And... It's funny. It's funny too, right? Just to say real quick, it's funny too that I think it was compounded, right? By then he managed to suddenly land this crazy group of guys, right? John yeah. Stern and Drew Crawford, and yes. then immediately everyone was like, "And now these guys are all limited by this Princeton system." <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, t- totally. Um, and I think the. And, and it's funny to go back and, and just be like, you know, we were all there. We remember because you can zoom out now and be like, what a stretch. Four straight NIT berths, you know, for a team that like did it like the the concept of a back-to-back postseason appearance. It's, it's literally a non-entity. I mean, you can go back to, you know, before our parents were born looking for that kind of thing. And you're not going to find it with Northwestern. But even in that 2011-2012 season... When Northwestern went to the NIT yet again, I think that was probably I think that was John Sherna's senior year, I believe. Um, there was a feeling already that like, is this really going to be the ceiling with this group of guys? We're not going to get over this. So, 
I think there was a lot of malaise even heading into what became Carmody's final year. And because of that, it very quickly spiraled. But, I mean, to go back to what I was saying about Phillips, the bottom line is um, it was absolutely the right move for him not to terminate Carmody and keep him. It ended up being a fantastic decision. What's funny, John, is because the way other people have recounted that this week is that um, from the moment Phillips got to campus, he wanted to get rid of Carmody because he wasn't his guy. And all of a sudden, Carmody started winning and he he couldn't. I mean, I mean, let's put it this way. I'd say Jim Phillips, you know, when it comes to wins and losses of sports programs has earned the right to have the benefit of the doubt here. So I would be like, (laughs) I'm going to default to a guy who really, I mean, can can claim to be the the best athletic director in uh, in the country, even as he he goes to head a conference. But um, but I think. The other part of that, too, is then he did fire Bill Carmody at the exact right time. And yeah. I think there was there's this notion that because Carmody was there so long without winning a tournament, without making a tournament, that he was there way too long. And if you were there in the moment, it just didn't play out like that. It's like you could have argued that he could have been fired in 2008, but then you missed four straight you know, potentially four straight NIT appearances, but then the second half of it, right. And this is, this is circling back to where we were with, you know, Collins is at that moment, Northwestern had the rep of the team that was, Oh, so close and just couldn't get in. And the exact right guy was the dynamic, energetic young coach who could sell that to a group of recruits and be like, and, and did because he came right in and put together an insane recruiting class. Exactly. Like right when he took over, the only guy that really he ended up picking up was Taphorn. But that was but then his first real class was that absolute I mean it was. It was an absolute dynamo of a class. I mean it was multiple professional basketball players, including a fringe NBA player, who were, with the exception of Macintosh, Big time Chicago players. Um, and that's something that, you know, we were talking, we hope um, to to have a conversation with Jordan Ash down the road, who who is the, you know, the, the doctorate of all of this. I mean, someone more steeped in Chicago basketball tradition um, than just about anybody that's worn a Northwestern uniform. I mean, it's there are certainly other guys, Juice Thompson, etc. But there, I think he immediately came in and made a dent in Chicago basketball in a way that few Northwestern coaches have. Well, and, well, and he had, he came with the credibility to do so. Right. right. And it was, yeah. and it was twofold. It was growing up in Chicago, being a Chicago recruit and, and star himself in high school. Um, his, his connections through his dad to the Chicago bulls growing up, you know, basically in the, you know, amongst the NBA players and in locker rooms, et cetera, but then bringing the Duke pedigree and it like, it, it it's it's a legit thing that part of Northwestern's you know athletic problem over the years has been figuring out how to balance the academic side of it right and, and you know this this goes back a, a few years now but I, I still remember the moment that because this predates the three of us but I still remember that Jay, still, still remember the moment that Jay Sharman of like the post told us you know back in the day, the folks running the university thought that it would do better for their academic rating if the sports sucked. 
I mean, that's part of the reason that that you have a string of coaches for 30 years that didn't win more than 30 percent of their games. Right. In, mm-hmm. in that they were actively not investing in these guys. Um, so like the 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 dynamic of bringing in somebody who has coached alongside arguably what the the oh. second most heralded college basketball coach in history one of the best i mean in in the in the top 5 for sure i mean i i i, I can't think of who would be higher than Shashevsky other than dean smith but like well i i think inarguably a titan right like and and so he he just he came in with so much credibility with the chicago connection it absolutely makes sense that that he was he was able to jump right in and and carry this program on the on the backs of that credibility for those four years and achieve what he did and at the time i was arguing about this with somebody a couple weeks ago like he was absolutely the right choice at the right time. And what we've learned over the subsequent five or six years is that maybe he doesn't have the, the same, you know, he, he, he's not another Chushevsky in the making, right? Um, he doesn't have some of the same, uh, ability to, to dig a program out of a hole that, um, other coaches have had, but I like it. That doesn't mean that it was wrong for us to go out and get him either. Right. Exactly. And I think, I think one of the things that's, like we said, is becoming really clear is this was a phenomenal group of guys, right? And McIntosh, of course, not from Chicago, from what Northern Indiana was a, a late bloomer, right? Who suddenly everybody wanted and Collins, you know, like, for example, I, I want to say, I mean, I believe this is right, but I think Butler came late at the time when Butler was a white hot program and Collins, I think, you know, was able to get Macintosh and then hold on to him. And, and you fold that in with, again, he's getting, he's getting Vic Law out of St. Rita. He's getting Scotty Lindsay out of Fenwick. These are, these are places where it's funny, you know, to, to juxtapose with football, um, if, and you and to your point, what what Jay said about you know the historical and this this giant you know Northwestern just kicking its own ass for so long um, that with football partially because of that but also because of just this, the orbit of Notre Dame right that there was so long where it was like well Notre Dame's got enough scholarship spots whatever guy is worth his salt at all in Chicago. Notre Dame is going to come in and get that kid. And then Northwestern is going to fight for the scraps of whatever's left, right? Well, basketball doesn't work that way. Uh, there are only 13 spots on every team. And uh, you may be aware, Chicago, pretty good basketball city. Um, <laughs> and and it was it's really kind of stunning. And yes, the academics factor in, that's true. But even still, it is stunning to look year after year at all of the talent and be like Northwestern just, you know, year after year perennially is not getting a piece of any of that pie and watching as it just fans out across the, the rest of the Midwest. Not, and, not getting a piece and not even in the conversation. Ex- mm-hmm. Exactly. Which, which, and, which is the biggest indictment of Carmody, right? That, 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 that just wasn't his game. It wasn't his bag. And, well, and, and then you, well, and the, what's funny too, is if you look at a lot of his, his top players, it was the few times he hit, right? Yeah. Ju- yeah, Juice, yeah. Sherna, right. Juice Sherna, yeah. um, Drew Crawford, you know, these were Jershon, yeah. um, not Jershon Cobb, um, uh, Jatim Young. These were Chicago oh, players. Tim, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, so, you know, what, so, something that's funny that, that was kind of a, occurred to me as, as we were, as we've been dovetailing through this, right. It's just like, 
and, and it goes back to another thing that Jay has talked to us about, like branding really matters. Think about the year 2000 when Carmody got brought in. He's coming off of that epic run at Princeton, going to a Final Four. He's got this 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 system. Northwestern is billed at that time, like as a whole school from a brand, as the Harvard of the Midwest. Henry Beenan, a Princeton graduate, is our president. And I, like, I think it makes all the sense in the world that Northwestern would have targeted somebody from the East Coast of that Ivy League pedigree, right? Um, fast forward to 2013, Chicago's Big Ten team is a totally different yeah, brand and great focus point. and approach. It's just, it's just really interesting to think about the bas- basketball program through that lens and kind of, I don't know, just, 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 just muse on, on the evolution of, of, of this program. Well, it's funny too, because they're so disparate and yet it's, it's so funny because combined the two things have worked really well together. It's really funny to think, um, because football is just so much more popular than basketball in general, that Northwestern's basketball team was every bit as bad as the football team for almost mm-hmm. the exact same stretch yeah. of time. The 80s were a bleak, dark time. Um, and the 90, the early 90s, same thing. Um, but I think let's let's just just to put that just to put that in perspective until Bill Carmody, um, you have to go back to 1969 for a coach who had a winning percentage better than 450. Right. I mean, it's better it's, than 350. I'm I mean, sorry. It's it's rough, just rough. But it's funny because we're also we have the the um, 95 Rose Bowl so ingrained in our minds that I think Northwestern fans have an idea of there will be this big bang moment, right, where fortunes shift. And it's like, well, not not in terms of basketball. <laughs> this was built over, you know, 14, you know, 13, 14 years. Can, for can I introduce you to Kevin O'Neill circa 1998? Oh, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Big, big bang of a different time of a different kind. Oh, right? my but God. But it's like you're you're totally right where you can look at you're like part you're like Carmody's higher probably had in no small part to do with that Princeton connection, which is crazy. Oh, Carmody, 100%. But, I mean, no doubt. I mean, Carmody, awesome on-court coach. I mean, you, you can't argue with that. He's, that incre- was, he's incredible. And, and in that retrospect, was, looks even better. Right, exactly. And it's like, we all know what the shortcomings were. He plays a system that is not sexy, does not play by guys who want to play NBA basketball. And he was completely wedded to it. And he was a lackadaisical recruiter and all of those things. It's like, and yet somehow he built out of nothing slowly over time, this program that again, when Chris Collins took over, he, with all of his energy and dynamism, and like you said, his dad connection, the coach K connection, the Chicago connection could come in. And I mean, we're not hypothesizing. This has been well-documented sell Vic law on being like, look where we are. We're this close. You're going to be the guy who puts us over the top. And that's it. I mean, he did it. It's it's one. Well, well, and at the time too, I mean, I remember his first press conference. He was like, we're going to run like, like we're going to play up tempo. Like, like none of this, you know, right. 52 to 45 stuff that we've been seeing for, for the past 12 years. And it was, it was enticing as a fan. It was enticing as a player, I'm sure. And I, I think I think it's becoming clear, too, that it's not a situation like if Scotty Lindsay, Vic Law, or Bryant McIntosh had gone to any other school, they all would have been big stars at those schools. 
and we kept all three of those guys in the fold and got them to you know, and 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 Collins got them to Northwestern. And I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I think I mean so what we've been saying, what we said off the top, you got to look yourself in the mirror and be like, look, sixteen conference wins over four years just don't lie. Like I think. What's becoming clear is a lot of that early success was buoyed by this being an absolutely special group of guys. But those guys don't come in if Chris Collins doesn't pull them in. I mean, it, it really is true. Um, that is 100% him. That's his doing. Um, and, and again, it, so it, it's one of those crazy things because I think we're all in this point now where we're like, look, I, you know, the bottom is really falling out here. I think, you know, regardless of, of how this plays out, we feel like we're, you were rapidly approaching the end of the Chris Collins era here and it's been rough. And, and again, like we said, all the coaching problems, all everything, it's all totally real. And I think I, I personally would, would kind of feel that, you know, Collins at this point, it's pretty clear that if he doesn't have absolutely elite talent, he is, he's not going to, to be able to get it there, but well, and, well, and at a very specific position, right? Exactly. <laughs> but same guy assembled, that very group of elite yeah. talent upon his arrival, and that's what got us to the tourney. Let, let's spin it forward and just kind of realize that Collins could be back next year. Absolutely could be. Pro- and pro- probably will be. <laughs> probably will be. I, I think so much depends on when the new athletic director is named and how quickly he or she comes in and starts to take semblance and take stock of, of what's here. Cause you know, you know, a new AD is going to come in, is going to see where this team has been and it has been trending and is going to want to bring in their, their guy. Right. And you know, where, where is this AD coming from? Does, is this AD coming from a place where they have a coach that they would want to bring with them? Do they have ties to, to, coaches somewhere else do they want to go get porter Mosier, who's a name just at just down the street at loyola who's you know taking the ramblers to a final four and you know would be a tremendous hire because he knows chicago and you know he's just like i say right down the street um you know to me and uh, again that that's taking it even further down the road is like who would be replacing collins i don't want to go there yet but like keep Porter Mosier's name in mind because my God, that makes sense on so many levels, but you know, whoever this, whoever the new AD is, is going to come in, is going to see what's what, and is going to have to make a decision when that happens could, you know, indicate, you know, it could be before the end of basketball season and they want, maybe they come in and make a change right away. The end of basketball season is not far away. I mean, we're in the middle of February here. March Madness is right around the corner. And, yeah, and well, it could be a disaster for recruiting. I mean, like, who, yeah. who knows? And when you hit the reset button, you hit the reset button, right? I know we were, the three of us were very hesitant in 2012, 2013. Like, we we were, I think we were pretty against the, the firing of Bill Carmody until it ultimately happened. And we saw who, who they were able to bring in. And part part of that, for me, certainly was a fear around, like, Who's Northwestern going to be able to get, and and what kind of reset is this well, going to be? And, and if and, we and, remember too, right, we had just signed Jaron Cena, who's a four star recruit, yeah. and he decommitted, decommitted immediately. Him. Yeah, so right. it's kind of terrifying, right? What's I, you know, I, I talked a little bit about like kind of the overarching umbrella of the university and branding, et cetera, earlier, but like another thing that's really important to consider here, 
especially when you're com- comparing Car- Collins's line against Carmody's line, is all the investment that has come to the program. Yes. Mm-hmm. The the stadium, the facilities, the lakefront. Like it is it is a dramatically different place than when Bill Carmody coached at Northwestern and the the attraction of Northwestern to other college coaches who are up and coming is going to be dramatically different this time around than it was in, in 13, 14 or, or in 2013 when, when the last switch was made. So that's just a really important consideration. I, I think that probably has a spillover effect to athletes as well in that I don't think, you know, Collins leaving is going to result in everybody jumping ship. I am, I am mortally terrified about, about Pete Nance and Miller cop, regardless of, of who the coach is next year, potentially leaving just, you know, they've, they've presumably got their degrees and could, could, could grad transfer. And I think there are plenty of competitive teams out there that would love those types of players um, on their squad. But I mean, I'm, I'm probably getting a little bit out, out of my skis here, but I, like, it's not nearly as daunting a, a proposition to me now as it was eight years ago to fire the head basketball coach and start fresh. Well, and again, I think that's it's a credit to Carmody and it's a credit to Collins, right? Because yeah. those guys, the bottom line is those guys got this, all these things built and Northwestern has a glorious stadium. I mean, Welsh Ryan is beautiful now. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I remember back in college and our friend and friend of the pod, Garth Robertson and I almost getting, um, you know, murdered by via trampling by 400 pound Nigel Dixon flying out of bounds at us um, in a, you know, when we were playing Florida State in a non-conference I, game. I a, really thought you were going to say murdered by Bobby Knight. Bobby oh, Knight, well, yeah. that, Carry that on. happened in a much more, <laughs> that happened in a much more full stadium, mainly full of Indiana fans, sadly. But I just remember this bizarre experience of us sitting courtside, almost getting smushed by this 400 pound guy, but in this cavernous, nearly empty stadium, right? This empty, outdated building that we all had love for, you know, in, but the bottom line is it was this, you know, old, ugly stadium that did not have winning basketball attached to it. And now we have this glistening thing. And right. And, you know, for all the talk of the Fitzcarlton out on the lake, like Scuzz said, you know, all of that real estate went to basketball and volleyball out by the stadium. And they have this beautiful practice facility now, too. And right. There's so much to sell. And it's funny. I I happen to, you know when we were doing prep for this pod, I went back and looked at um, Carmody's final year. And, and, you know, there are a lot of similarities between that year and this year. Like I think Northwestern lost its last eight in a row to close that season out. But if you look at the, um, I'll, I'll, let's put it this way. Northwestern was one of the three worst teams in the big 10 that year. Would you guys like to guess who the other two worst teams in the big 10 were that year? Were we at 14 teams then? Do we have Maryland and Rutgers yet? No, they were not in yet. So I'm going to guess Nebraska Nebraska. and Penn State. That is correct. Nebraska and Penn State, right where we are right now. Um, And those teams, you know, you can throw Rutgers in traditionally, although they're good this year, of, you know, the two that were added, Maryland's awesome and Rutgers is not. But, you know, you go back forever. It's those three teams, right? It's Penn State, Nebraska, and to a lesser extent, Minnesota. But Minnesota has some real traditions, because you know, um, that the other three do not. 
and um <laughs> so, but sorry you, yeah. you say you say that and my first thought goes to um test cheating scandal yeah i, I was gonna say it's, like, it's there's a lot like there's a lot baked into the clem haskins era scuds is what i'm saying but the uh but those three right are are just marooned in the basement i think the difference is that the bottom line is you know football tradition aside nebraska's located in the middle of nowhere and the bottom line is football tradition aside penn state's located in the middle of nowhere northwestern's in the heart of chicago on the lake with brand new glorious facilities um and and again this idea you know damaged as it is by the events of the past four years that bill carmody built a program out of nothing and chris collins took that program to the tournament and to, you know, it's just there's so much there for, as Sam said, for a Porter Moser. I mean, what more do you want? It's a blank slate with glorious facilities. And, you know, I, like it's it's all there. And and the emphasis now, right? The Like Scuzza, the Chicago Big Ten team emphasis, right? It's it's all there on a platter if you want it. And I think, you know, that was that was built by the, you know, these last two coaches, Carmody and Collins. And and Jim Phillips and and Morton Shapiro and just the the focus of the university, but it's all there for the taking. It's Northwestern is the glaring outlier um, in the Big Ten cellar right now, and uh, the pieces are there to get out. Kind of want to leave this discussion here for now. Um, you know, obviously, we we still need to wait and see what happens. You know, the the season's not over and. Uh, when the new AD is named, we'll see what happens. Um, probably changes will be made, but who knows when and who knows uh, in what form that'll take. I uh, want to talk about the women real quick. Uh, coming off uh, another loss to Nebraska tonight, uh, 71-64, a game that uh, the Cats were up 10 at the end of the first quarter, up 5 at halftime in Sorry, Nebraska. Sorry, they were actually up 9 at oh. half. I gave, you, I gave you a bad Sorry. intel earlier. Sorry, yeah, up 9 at halftime. Um, and Nebraska came out in the second half and really, you know, took it to, took it to the cats. Um, you know, really took over in the second half. You know, we're sitting three games out of first place here at nine and five. Um, a few games left, uh, three and three games left. Possibly they'll reschedule the, uh, the Ohio state game that was canceled. Um, you know, we'll see, but, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting. A, a team like Nebraska, who we, we lost to twice this year, and you know the matchup situations. I you know I I really feel like we're missing the Abbeys against a team like Nebraska in a way that you know we hadn't necessarily been missing them uh, throughout the rest of the season. We we are, but yeah, no this, huge at, but at the same time. Like if you look at you just look at what. Northwestern was able to do in this game and they they had 21 steals. They they only turned the ball over themselves four times. And they just shot horribly. And and it was the first 6 minutes of the fourth quarter. They went 1 for 10. That that is when Nebraska flipped it from a 4-point deficit to a 7-point lead or something like that. And the the the, the Cats I mean that that's where like an Abby Shide, right, was so good last year at breaking 50, those streaks. Fifty percent from three. <laughs> yeah, I was so gonna say from three. literally the best in the country. Yeah. But 
but but I think like the the talk track that gets played a lot is oh well the cats don't have the the frontline players to match up with like a Kate Kane right the six five center for for Nebraska or they can't match up with the bigs from Michigan they got to change their defense yada yada it's not that I think I think we're missing the um the flexibility that the Abbeys gave the cats on offense last year and you know a lot of credit to Paige Mott who has I think played very, very admirably as a true freshman, particularly on defense against some of these really, really strong, powerful women at other schools. And Anna Morris, too, has been and, playing really, and, really well of late. Yes, Anna Morris is coming along. Uh, Mott, in particular, against Rutgers, her offensive game was was showing as well. But Rutgers is another really interesting one, right? Like, no, there's no, there's no big on that team. There's no traditional big center. But they've got three women on their team that are crazy long, and, and, and when you have players like that, that are, that also have the speed to keep up with a Burton or a Pulliam, all of a sudden you're in a world of hurt because you need everybody else, Wood and Hamilton and whoever's playing the other forward position to basically, you know, go, go 50% from the field. If, if, if those other, you know, big long defenders are able to shut down. Burton and Pulliam and we just we just haven't had the options on the offensive side I think to to dominate or ride out you know um pieces of these games like we had in the past couple years and it's it's frustrating like at the same time I mean again you look at this game they missed they missed you know nine of ten shots in that six minute period at least four of those were layups and this goes back to the first Nebraska game where they left so many layups and free throws out on the court, um, like the, I don't want to suggest that they need to be perfect out there, but there's a margin in all of these losses that Northwestern has had around sloppiness and missed shots that if they were able to put it together in the right way, there's no opponent in the Big Ten that I don't think they couldn't beat, right? especially on a night where they're getting a, a, a plus 24 turnover margin, which is just wild. And it's stunning that they lost despite. Well, that. Mi- minus 19 rebounding. Right. Right. And I think, yeah. That's, and I guess when you're not shooting well and you're, and you're getting out rebounded too, that's, that's a bad combo. Yeah. I think they get hurt on the glass a little bit. I think, you know, we've had previous games have shown, right. That, uh, you know, the guards chip in a lot on the glass too. Um, and obviously, when it comes to on-ball defense, especially out at the perimeter, Northwestern is as good as you're going to see in the country. I mean, they're, the Blizzard defense is the real deal. It's it's unbelievable. Um, and I mean, they they I, real quick they got killed on the defensive glass, but they they had more offensive rebounds they did. than Nebraska. They, they did. did. They out they out rebounded them offensively, right? Twelve to ten, but like forty two to tw- like forty two defensive rebounds to twenty one defensive rebounds right. and I mean but, but don't don't like like hit you know five of those five of those nine shots that you missed and, well that's the and thing sure. I was and when that it's, game. It's right, yeah. yeah when you're building but you're brick. not getting second chance points is yeah. there? that's that's where I'm getting at. right yeah I mean when you're building brick mansions you know shooting the ball it's 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 tough but I think to Scuzz's point right I think on one end we have a team that is is solidly the fifth best team in a really strong conference right now I mean it's like it's funny because we're so used to this kind of with you know other men's men's ball these boom and bust cycles right where it's like oh my gosh it's like we made the tournament and now we're not doing anything it's like the women are just solidly good right so on one hand it's like they're they're not going to be ranked after this this week um i think with the, these two losses back to back 
Um, they're going to slip out of the top 25. They're absolutely going to the tournament. I mean, it's like they're, you know, yeah. if they, they finish solidly, like they are a really strong team. Um, they are absolutely one of the teams that's going to the tournament. They're solidly the fifth. And on the other side, um, it's clear that, like, to Scuzz's point, right, if, if a team that gets Northwestern's very best game will be lucky to win. Um, and I think that's, you know, we look at an Ohio State. We'll, we'll look at that Ohio State game, right? Right, exactly. I mean, that's a team yeah. that is 12 and 3 right now. And they're, right, and and they got our very best game. So, right. And and that applies to the tourney too, right? It's like when the when tourney time comes, um, Big Ten tournament, I mean, if this team gets hot and they catch the right stretch, they absolutely can go really deep into this tournament. We're not going to get the regular season crown like we did last year, but... Um, I mean, barring a miracle down the stretch, but um, in the I Big Ten, I don't think it's possible yeah. given Maryland's record, right? But yeah, it, no. but but in the uh, but in the tournament, absolutely a chance. And then this team's finally going to get their chance to play, um, you know, meaningful March Madness basketball. So, right, well, I think well, well, they get the next two games are against the two worst teams in the conference, Wisconsin and Illinois. So they have a chance to get right. Let's like get Mott Morris more time out there. I you know. Not having Courtney Shaw in the back half of this season uh, out with injury has, has really, really hurt Northwestern because it has forced all the playing time to go through those true freshmen. It, and Shaw was really coming into her own. You look at, at her play in the first half of the year. It was phenomenal. Um, do, do we have any sense on when she might be back? No. I mean, they, they just haven't they just haven't said anything. It's just been like lower body injury, you know, week to week yeah. kind, kind of thing. So I, I know at one point she was in a walking boot. I'm not sure if she still is or not, but um, – but like I said, they get they get those two really terrible teams to tune up against, and then they get a shot at Maryland at home. Top 10, 11 and 1, 15 and 2 overall, Maryland, um, who was, you know, the bugaboo last year. And it, it's, it's probably not a game they're going to win. But I mean, again, like. You get a game where where Burton and Pulliam are firing on all cylinders. Like, look out! I don't care that, who you that, are. Look out! And that game's on ESPN too. So, yeah. um, then there's y'all, a week y'all off. To, we all need to be watching. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's four four o'clock uh, Eastern time on on the on the twenty eighth. Then they get a week off before Big Ten tournament. So you know, plenty. Like honestly, there's a lot of time for Courtney Shaw to come back before we get to you know we, we get down to brass tacks. So we'll we'll see how this plays out. But um. As we've said many times before, this team is still a ton of fun to watch. The last couple games have been, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest. The Rutgers game was a lot of fun because both teams were kind of throwing haymakers and were and were really really good. And Rutgers just pulled away at the end. The, the, this game against Nebraska was was fun for three quarters. Um, but there's like this team is so entertaining to watch in in like. The, the defense alone, like just the things that they do to the, to the other team, the steals getting, it's always very, very exciting. And plus, I think we're finally to the point, right? That these, these ladies were robbed of some major basketball last season. And, yeah, no you doubt. Know, and especially for, for Lindsay Veronica, but you know, everybody there, you know, you wish the Abbeys could get in on it too, but these girls are finally going to get to play some March Madness basketball. Yeah. It'll be here before we know it. Uh, couple things before we get out of here tonight. Um, women's lacrosse is back and looking phenomenal. Uh, opening game against Ohio State. Northwestern won 23-7. Izzy Skane. Uh, yeah, pardon me, Izzy Skane won 9-7. Yeah, sorry. Say. Izzy Skane won 9-7. <laughs> yeah. 
that's it's wonderful. Yeah, 20, 23 to 7, just an absolute drubbing. And, you know, cannot wait. You know, Izzy Skeen was named Big Ten Player of the Week. The uh, IWCLA National Player of the Week uh, tied the career uh, single-game goals with uh, Selena Lasota's nine as well. So, yeah, watch out. Izzy Skane is going to be doing some damage here uh, coming up for the uh, for the women. And this is a team that I think it's funny. You know, I know Scuzz has a lot of thoughts on this, but going into last season, I think the, the book right was that this was a phenomenal offensive team um, that was just going to try to just lights out, just outscore everybody and play this Blitzkrieg style. And this season, there's that too. But this season, the general consensus is that Northwestern's just awesome. And that it's just they're just gonna beat tons of teams, and I think they're they're looked at as the the best team in the Midwest and one of the very best in the country. And this absolute throttling of Ohio State did nothing to dissuade anybody of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean they started what like somewhere between fourth and sixth in in most of the polls. Uh, they've jumped up a, a, a slot uh, in the um, the Maverick Women's Division media poll uh, or Maverick Women's Division One media poll. Um, with the win over Ohio state. So I, you know, we'll see, they've been recruiting really well. We've talked about this in the past, like their last couple of recruiting classes have been very, very, very strong. Um, but we'll, we'll see what they look like this year. If the, if the defense is up, is up to the likes of, you know, Notre Dame and North Carolina, uh, and you know, Syracuse who, who appear to be the, the other teams vying for that, that kind of top dog spot. As long as we're talking spring sports really quickly, I just want to say that, Things. Speaking of things we were robbed of seeing last last year, we're about nine days right now away from potentially seeing Danielle Williams for the first time in over a year, um, which is is absolutely ludicrous that that all happened. We all know it all, but um, you know, don't remember, don't forget, Northwestern didn't stop having one of the very best pitchers in the entire country on its softball team. And uh, she's finally going to get to throw some heat again um, against Michigan state, hopefully in a Florida doubleheader on February 26th. So they are practicing now. Uh, and as long as we're talking about uh women's spring teams, getting ready to kick ass, they are definitely on the, on the docket. Yeah. They're going to be starting off. It looks like a little big 10 bubble in Florida. Um, you know, a bunch of games in a row against some big 10 opponents before, uh, things should theoretically warm up uh, back up north, and we'll we'll start to see some on campus games. Um, and finally, before we go, want to shout out to uh, you know, a new book released by friend of the pod Tim Chapman. Um, you might might have read his stuff over at uh, the Rivals Board Wildcat Report. Uh, Champion Underdog. He has a new book out: uh, The Improbable Success of the 1995 Northwestern Football Team. Um, just an amazing. Uh, book. I've, I've been able to get into it a little bit, haven't uh, gotten all the way through it, but an, an amazing look inside the the action, inside the huddle, um, and, and a great description, especially as you know we celebrated the the 25-year anniversary of the 1995 Rose Bowl team uh, this past season. Um, check it out. Uh, we're going to try to have uh, Tim on uh, next week or two, hopefully, uh, to talk about this book. Uh, but definitely check it out. Champion Underdog by Tim Chapman. Um, phenomenal read so far. I can't wait to to get into it even further. 
yeah, I think if we all go back far enough that it's like, yeah, you follow Wildcat Report, you know, you follow Louis Vacare, and you immediately like, you know, Edgy Tim right next to him, right? So it's the, it's, it's that group. And I think we, when, if you're a major Northwestern football fan, you go that far back with this core group of guys who we've all been getting our content from from so long that you just kind of grab for a book like this as soon as it comes out. Because these are the if you're a, a hardcore Northwestern fan, these are the voices you trust. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, we are trying to track down Jordan Ash, uh, probably uh, not this upcoming week, but the week after. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to to dot the I's and cross the T's and make that happen because, uh, man, it'd be great to to sit down and talk to him about you know Northwestern basketball, kind of the state of basketball in the city of Chicago because you know talk about a guy who's got some stories. Uh, Jordan and, definitely has some stories and uh, has started a new podcast. Um, I think I think he's got a YouTube channel. It's like a conversation format. He had Derek Parton on. Uh, last week and we'll be talking to Barrett Benson this week among others so um, kind of another cool uh, me- media outlet for uh, all of us Northwestern junkies to to sink some time into yeah it's the garbage time podcast and if you if you google um, Jordan Ash garbage time or you put Jordan Ash garbage time into YouTube you will you'll see it and uh, you can check out that first episode with part of yeah one of the many things uh, we are excited to talk with him about and uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.